Hi, I'm Michelle, and I'm... Wait, am I the straight-laced psychotherapist? I thought I was going to be the unconventional hypnotherapist, and you were going to be the super serious trauma specialist. No, you were going to be the relationship expert. Like, love expert. And you're going to be the specialist who guides people with down-to-earth techniques for transmuting trauma? Yeah, yeah, that's me. Okay, good. I'll be the love expert. I mean, I am the love expert. I think we have this all sorted out. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, a therapist at Anchor Light, and this is Holding Ground. Today and every Monday, we've got a little bit of everything for you. Shall we? Yeah, let's do this. Hey there, everyone. This is Laura Richer with Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Thank you for being here for Holding Ground on KKNW 1150 AM, where we spend an hour every Monday talking about anything and everything in the world of therapy and positive mental health. And I am joined by my lovely co-host and colleague, Michelle Mooney. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. And good morning to everyone who's listening today. And me and Michelle are both licensed psychotherapists and personal growth enthusiasts. So today we're going to be talking about how to speak fluent love. And we are going to be talking about how you can better connect with your romantic partners. So the first thing when I think about speaking love languages, we of course think of Gary Chapman, who wrote the Love Languages book in 1992. Are you familiar with love languages, Michelle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people are getting more into that now and saying, okay, this is me, this is my partner, and yeah, how do we talk together with these languages that we have, right? Yeah, and I think it's kind of become just something that is that people don't even know necessarily that it's a book, but they just think that, you know, it's like your, like your sign. What's your horoscope sign? Yeah. What's your love language? Yep. So um, I love that conversation. We have it in couples therapy all the time, but I think that there's more to add to it. And so today we're going to be talking about Gary Chapman's uh, love languages and how you can better connect with your partner when you understand their love language and they understand yours. And then we're going to throw a little more in that into that with the Gottman method since yeah. we love the Gottman method and I think that that will help take it to the next level. Yeah. And I agree. So speaking of helping couples, I actually just completed my Gottman training. And as you, I think uh, the research I've got the Gottman Institute and the method is fantastic. So recently the Gottmans wrote a book, The Seven Principles That Outline the Habits of Successful Married Couples. And now, Laura, you've been trained in Gottman for a very long time and you apply this in your couples therapy. And we'll talk more about what the Gottman method is, but Um, It really is one of the gold standards of how to work with couples. Yes. And what I love about the Gottman Method is that it is based in the research of John and Julie Gottman, who are researchers at the University of Washington. And they studied marriage and relationships over a 30-year period. And so they they developed this method of counseling based on research. And so it's very effective, evidence-based type counseling, which is what I love about it. So learning about the seven principles combined with love languages, you're going to just have an arsenal of powerful Mm -hmm. strategies to connect Mm -hmm. with your partner. Yeah. And I think it's really important to mention, you said, you know, they were researchers at um, the University of Washington and over 30 years. And some of the fun pieces of that is originally when they did this, they kind of, they had uh, what they called at the time, the love 
love house. Uh, the love lab. The love lab. <laughs> yes, even better. Um, and couples came in and they observed, you know, what it was like when they had conflict, what it was like and how they repair the relationship or the um, conflict at that time. So and this went on extensively. And then they checked in with those couples over time and to see you know, are they still together? Are they still functioning together? And they could tell based on the research that they did, okay, here's the things that do work. Here's the things that keep mm -hmm. the couples together. And it's, and uh, I think the statistic is John Gottman can predict with 90% mm -hmm. uh, um, accuracy that whether a couple is going to stay together or not. Right, which is really fascinating. Yes. We can, using those methods, we can also kind of determine, okay, if these couples stay on the same track, they may or may not, um, you know, remain in their relationship. Right. They might not be successful. So it's it's fascinating, and we offer that at Anchorway. We do, and it's not a predetermined destiny. You can actually mm -hmm. learn new skills. So if you are on a negative track that is going, if you stay on that track, you're probably going to land in... Uh, divorce or breakup. But if you learn these skills, if you start to practice the seven principles and understand your partner's love language, then there's a good chance that you can move in a different direction, which is what a lot of couples that come to couples therapy are seeking are skills and tools for how they don't end up where they don't want to be. Yeah. yeah. All right. So let's start with the love languages. So Gary Chapman outlined five love languages, and I think that there's probably more things that we can add to this, but this is a good framework to start with, of the ways that people expressed and received love. And so there are five, and those are quality time, so the amount of time that we spend together in a meaningful way, yes. so not necessarily like playing on our phones with a TV show in the background, but actually... Connecting. Being intentional yeah. about how we're connecting and how we're spending that time together. Yep. And then physical touch or physical affection mm -hmm. was the next one. Mm -hmm. um, acts of service. So what would be, Michelle, an example of acts of service? Mm -hmm. It can range anywhere from, okay, your partner's holding the door open for you or, you know, you might be sick and they can go out and get you, bring you soup, right? So, or um, running a radio show because I love you too. Oh, <laughs> Benny. <laughs> Perfect action. Yeah, we were talking about this before and he was very direct about it. This is it. There you <laughs> go. We put him to the test with the editing. Yeah, you did a great job there. Oh, Clearly that's your love language. <laughs> so yes, acts of service, taking care of feeling taken care of through, you know, doing, you know, I got the oil in your car changed yeah. for you. I made you a nice dinner. I mm -hmm. made sure that, you know, you're your stuff was laid out for you in the morning. Things to help yeah. take care of you. So yeah. acts of service. So mm -hmm. then the next one we have is giving and receiving gifts. Mm -hmm. I think that one's kind of self-explanatory. And then finally, words of affirmation. So Michelle, tell us some examples of words of affirmation. So Laura, if I'm looking at you, you look very lovely this oh, morning. thank you. Um, so that helps a lot of people, right? Like you look great in that dress. We're going to this dinner party. Or, you know, and I think more strong ones are, you know, I really appreciate your sense of humor. You're so intelligent. You do this for me. Um, and, you know, that really touches my heart. And so just really being, again, intentional about the things that we say to each other and affirming aspects of one another. Yes. And so these are all very solid ways to connect with your partner. And these are different love languages that people use. So it, the problem that uh, Chapman identified with all of this 
is that what we find is that people express love in the same way that they receive it. So if I feel really loved when someone takes care of me, if I my love language is acts of service and and I really appreciate when people do things for me, then I might want to do that for my partner. Yep. However, my partner may not receive love in that way. That might, you know, they might not want anyone to do things for mm-hmm. them. They might receive love with physical affection. And if I'm not physically affectionate towards them, mm-hmm. they're not going to, my acts of service aren't going to really mean anything to them. Sure, right. And that's the identifying, okay, what's my partner's love language um, versus mine? Having that open discussion, okay, I need maybe more words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. I need more gifts. Um, and I think a quick touch on the physical affection, um, you know, of course, that can be intimacy, but holding hands, cuddling, um, all yep. of that. Sitting um, next to each other on the couch, exactly. watching a show. Mm-hmm. Yes, so mm-hmm. all of that for, for physical um, okay, so Michelle, we're going to get really personal here. Ooh. I'd like to know what your love language is. Um, well, I think these all present a really great mix of how our love language can blend or even change over time. And so, you know, while we might be focused on, wow, I really want words of affirmation, physical touch could still be really appreciated, right? We can appreciate all of those love languages. Um, but I would oh, say- Oh, and I think that we do. I think we like oh, yeah. all of the things on the list. Mm-hmm. But there are certain ways, I think, that feel more- meaningful us mm-hmm. to us than than others mm-hmm. yeah absolutely um so to answer your question i think in both how i like to receive and give loved is um acts of service and quality time and we are talking about this earlier but acts of service can be things like supporting each other you know going through good times and bad or something like holding the door open or baking your partner's favorite treat um and quality time for me is also you know getting to connect over humor and fun and enriching you know, sharing and enriching things like hiking or maybe taking a cooking class together, um, share downtime, or, you know, even if that means just having some snacks together and watching Netflix all night long. Um, I would kind of like to add one here, too. I think for me, it's really important to play, Mm -hmm. right? Have that, you know, sense of humor, you know, just really enjoy kind of being goofy. You know, you might be playing Mario Party together or something where, you know, you just... You get to play, you get to enjoy each other in a less serious way. Yes. So if I could add one, I would add that. I love that one. I think that's <laughs> a great one to add to the list. Um, another one I just thought of as you were saying that is also some people really feel love when they experience like an intellectual connection with yes. their partner where they can discuss mm-hmm. books and current events and um, really like connect in that way and having that intellectual conversation. Yes. And when we connect on the ways that we have intellect and that can be so enriching. Okay, I can have a conversation with my partner for seven hours yeah. and it just keeps going. And um, so that could fall into the quality time category too. But there yeah. are, I think, just different ways we can think about how we don't have to limit ourselves just to these five right. love languages. There's <laughs> different ways that that we can connect. And I think it's important to point out that you do not need to have the same love language as your partner. So it doesn't hurt, right? It probably makes it a little bit easier if we both have the same love language, but often that is not the case. So what we really want to do is know our partners and know what their love language is so that if if I don't really care about compliments, but my partner feels really loved with words of affirmation, that I am mindful and intentional in Mm -hmm. expressing my love in that way. Um, well then, Laura, mm-hmm. what would you say your love language is? So my love language is definitely gifts. So Travis, if you <laughs> yes. were listening, I like very expensive <laughs> gifts that come in little blue boxes. No, just kidding. Yep. 
I actually twenty five <laughs> carats. Um, very specific, I should say. Well, you know, again, Travis. Hey, <laughs> just kidding. No, so no, of course, of course, I love to receive <laughs> gifts. I won't turn down any gifts. But um, I think that probably for me, quality time. That if I'm if I had a partner that wasn't really available to me um, and that was working all the time, that would be hard for me to really feel a connection yep. with them. So I think you know having a lot of quality time together is probably my first one. And then I think the second one would be acts of service. I love, you know, I feel very loved if my coffee is made for me in the morning or a little detail is taken care of that I, you know, was going to be a hassle for me to address. So, Laura, we have the same love language. Yes. So I feel like that might, you know, really work well. <laughs> well um, and in the I, work environment. I'm happy to make you coffee <laughs> and take out the trash. So, <laughs> well, perfect. This is a very good relationship here. Yeah. It can work in all, not only in romantic relationships, but all kinds of relationships. Yep. I mean, point. I think that's a good point, you know, with our family members and. Mm-hmm. And uh, people that we that we care about. Yeah. So we also wanted to add a little something to this because I think that there is a lot more that can be added to this conversation. Love language is is a part of it, but there to really connect with our partners. There's I think there's another layer that we we want to get into, and I think the Gottman research helps break that down for yeah. us. So. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how the Gottman's Sullivan principles um, can really help you connect in your relationship. So stay tuned. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Thanks for tuning in to our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. During these challenging times, there's a place that provides vet care for people who cannot afford it. It's called Doni Co. Pet Clinic, and it's been providing veterinary and wellness care for thousands of pets in the Seattle area since 1986. This includes access to spay and neutering, which is a requirement for all pets. If you'd like to find out more about Doni Co. or to make a donation, visit DoniCo.org. That's D-O-N-E-Y-C-O-E dot org. You found us. Maybe you've been guided to listen. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. I'm Michelle Mooney here with Laura Richard, the founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And we are two therapists that work there. And today we're talking about Gary Chapman's 1992 book about the love languages and the Gottman Method and how you can deeper and strengthen your connection with your partner. Yes, we sure are. And of course, one of the best ways you can do that is come to couples therapy. So if you are interested in learning skills and tools to have a deeper connection with your partner, me and Michelle can help because we are both trained in the Gottman Method and we offer couples therapy. Um, And the Gottmans, who are also a couple, are really the leading uh, experts in relationship 
science. They started something that we mentioned before, the Love Lab, where they studied yes, couples and they hooked them up to monitors and and analyzed their behavior. And they really discovered that there's a lot of ways that we are the same in relationships and that we have both effective ways of con- connecting and then ineffective ways of connecting. And what we're trying to do is learn how to get rid of our ineffective habits so we can have better connections with our partners. And so the love languages, I think, was a really like a, a nice door that uh, started to talk about this concept of understanding your partner and and how, how to connect through a love language and that we might not all have the same love languages. But there's a little bit more to it than that. And so we wanted to, to take it to the next level today. Um, and so Julie Gottman was quoted in an article in The Atlantic that said she was talking about the love languages and talking about how there might we might need to revisit them a little bit or add a little bit more to them. And I wanted to bring up this point with you, Michelle, because as a trauma therapist, I know you're going to have a lot of insight on this. So in the article, Gottman wonders if it really makes sense to pin people down on maybe one or two love languages. In theory, yeah. okay, it's one thing, but to reinforce the belief there is only one way that you can express and receive love. This could be troubling, troubling for certain populations. Um, and yeah. here's what she said. Some survivors of combat or sexual abuse trauma or some people with autism spectrum disorders, for example, won't respond well to partners who insist on physical touch as the way they want to give and receive affection. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about physical touch as a love language for folks who have survived this and most, you know, and it can be a very invasive way of um, receiving affection if their partner is really into giving love in that way. Um, so through trauma, we learn maybe that affection, what affection looks like. And again, trauma can be a really bad teacher. So in the example of sexual abuse, any sort of physical touch, you know, even from a healthy partner. So let's say you've had a traumatic relationship before where maybe there was some sexual abuse. Um, so when we have a healthy partner today, we can still, that physical touch can set off alarm bells, right? We saw this before and meant bad things in the past. So now this partner's, you know, doing this thing that reminds me of that, even though it's a different context and a different relationship. So, you know, we think, and, you know, this is dangerous in some way. Um, and I like the quote that also focuses on the autism spectrum disorder. We don't get to talk about that so far too much on this show, but often people who are on the autism spectrum have a very heightened response to stimulus, such as sounds or physical stimuli, like the way their clothing feels on their bodies. Um, We talked a little bit um, before the show started about, you know, the masks, right? That physical sensation of masks on um, our faces. So, um, you know, touch from another person can often be too much as well. Yes. Yeah, so, so somebody with a sensory issue might struggle wearing a mask because mm-hmm. that is going to feel overwhelming. Yeah. Or certain them. textures of clothing yeah. or even if they're touching and playing with certain toys, um, you know, certain things can feel very off-putting and be too much, too mm-hmm. much stimulus for somebody who might be on the autism spectrum disorder. And so that is not to shame somebody who, no. who gives and, and receives love through physical affection, but I think it just really drives home this point of being able to understand your partner's experience and why they might not be able to give or receive love in the same way that, that you do. And that could ultimately lead to an incompatibility that doesn't make you a good match, or it could also be something that you can learn about your partner and learn how to work around it and, and learn tools to, to connect in, in ways that feel 
loving to both of you. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that couples therapy offers is a lot of times, like you said a little bit earlier, we might not even know what our love language is. We might not know what our partner wants. So having that opportunity for that conversation. Um, so next we're going to get into the actual principles of the Gottman method. Mm-hmm. And this is really exciting. So According to Gottman, uh, couples strengthen their friendship that is at the heart of any uh, marriage um, by enhancing their love match, or I'm sorry, love match maps, um, nurturing their fondness and admiration, turning towards each other instead of away, letting their spouse influence them by solving, help solving their problems, overcoming gridlock, and creating shared meaning. So we're going to really dissect these in a second, but that's the overview. So let's talk a little bit more about enhancing love maps. And I think, first of all, we need to talk about what a love map is. Yes. Yes. So a love map is that part of the brain that stores all of the relevant information about your your spouse or partner. Um, and it's everything that you know about them. So mm-hmm. what you their goals are, what their hopes are, uh, their life history, um, their worries, yep. yeah, things that upset them. Yep. And one thing that the Gottman really method really focuses on is that the foundation of successful long term relationships is a friendship. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Um, and yeah, that friendship, that connection piece that is different in a lot of ways from intimacy and romance. But without that foundation of friendship, it can be very hard to be successful in a marriage. Right. Because once you move beyond the the chemistry phase mm-hmm. of the relationship, that initial bonding period that happens within the first like year to 18 months where mm-hmm. you're over the moon um, about the other person, drunk on and that it, drunk on a hormones phase. and adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what hormones, Laura? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but once you get past that, if you don't have a foundation of friendship, it's going to be hard to for the relationship to sustain. So- mm-hmm. That's why love maps are so important is how well do you know your partner? And that's what love languages touches on initially is how how well do you know your partner? How do you how do they love receive and give love? But there's more to that, too. You also want to know about their goals, their dreams, Mm -hmm. what they're thinking. And a lot of times in couples therapy, we we revisit love maps because we can be with people for a long time and we create a narrative about who they are what their hopes and dreams are, what their triggers are. And so we get stuck in our own narrative of them and that person mm-hmm. and we we don't know them anymore. We've we've we know yeah. our narrative of them, but we right. don't know who they are today. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, maybe not a hundred percent we don't know them, but there's there's we've lost that connection. And that internal narrative piece, again, we can have that about ourselves, and we've talked about that in the mm-hmm. past. So comparing to um, how it works in couples therapy and um, how we view our partner, if we get stuck in that narrative like we can individually and about ourselves, um, there, you know, that's what's repeating in our heads. That's like what you said. That's, you know, we've kind of settled on that. That's who my spouse is. So, Laura, question, what can couples do to enhance their love maps? So we do this really naturally at the beginning of a relationship where we we're just so curious about each other. We want to know yeah. our partner's history and, you know, who their best childhood friend was and what their family was like and all of their experiences. And so initially that is how we start to create love maps as we start to understand each other's past history. After a while, we know all we know each other's stories. And so. Sometimes we start we, – we aren't as curious anymore and we think that we really know this person. But you want to keep it going. So 
what I tell couples to do sometimes who have lost that connection is to start to ask each other questions about things that they think that they might already know about Mm -hmm. them. Like, what are your hopes in your career? What are your hopes for your future? What kind of retirement are you thinking about having? And we might think that we know the answer to all of these questions. Who's your best friend today? Sometimes, you know, I might know who your childhood best friend is, but do I even know who you're interacting with at work right now? Or Yeah. Yeah. Did you find a new favorite snack? But yeah, the (laughs) point of we might know what that narrative is and what that love map and that curiosity in the beginning, but keeping that curiosity. Yes. How's work going now? What are your new career goals? What what do you want for retirement? Who are, like you said, who are your best friends? And that can change over time. So remaining curious and, you know, and enhancing what we know about one another and keeping that love map on the right path. Yes, exactly. The Gottmans talk a lot about something that they call bids for connection. Yes, I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's that relates to love languages is is we are doing things to connect with our partners, but oftentimes when there's dysfunction in a relationship, we're not catching on to each other's bids. Mm-hmm. And so a bid could for connection could be anything like, you know, oh, look it's sunny outside today. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm I'm inviting my partner in to engage in conversation mm-hmm. with me, but if you know, we've been together for 30 years and I'm like, yeah, I, the window's open. I see that. I know it's sunny out. And I don't respond to it. I'm shutting down my partner's attempt for connection with me. Yeah. So even in these small ways, but love maps can be a bit a big way that, that you keep those connections going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So let's move on to one of the other principles. Okay. So there's nurturing fondness and admiration. And... Again, when we're with somebody for a long period of time, it's easy to kind of get into looking for what we don't like about somebody. Um, it's our minds are actually wired to look for problems. So we can do those in our relationships as well. And instead of focusing on the reason I might have chosen this person in the first place, I might focus on all the reasons they're driving me crazy. <laughs> right. That can be a very natural piece. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're cultivating nurturing, fondness, and admiration, we want to shift out of that and start to focus on what it is that we really do like about our partners. Yeah, what yeah. we admire about mm-hmm. them. What? Oh, wow. Laura, you got your master's degree in counseling. <laughs> and I just, oh, my gosh. I just think that's so fabulous, right? That admiration piece. Yeah. Yep. And maybe you feel like, well, they know that. They know I think I that it's great that they did that. Or they know that I, you know, think that mm-hmm. they're attractive. I don't really need to tell them. But it, in fact, you do. You do. Here's yeah. words of affirmation are always helpful. Yeah. Um, and, and helping to, to cultivate that and not focusing on the negative, but instead focusing on why you cherish your partner. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, again, just illustrating that, you know, if you are maybe questioning how I feel about you, Laura, if, you know, again, mm-hmm. if we were in a partnership, right? And someone can often say, like, well, you know I love you. Mm-hmm. Well, that that doesn't tell me that you actually do. And the fact, you know, you know I love you, you know, you need to actually hear that. Yep. It shouldn't come up in some sort of, like, you know, tension argument or something. Well, you know that I love you. Well, you know, how do I know that? How have you shown that to me? How have you expressed that to me? Yeah. And I think sometimes people want to focus on the negative because they want to eliminate problems. And it is we always want to be able to give our partners feedback and we want to be able to address issues as they happen. But if you are constantly focused on the negative and you aren't really nurturing fondness and and expressing admiration for your partner, 
you're going to get into that and you're going to be on that track of those couples that have a little harder time sustaining their relationship mm-hmm. because we all want to feel loved and respected and especially by our partners. Yeah. And we've talked a little bit before on Gottman because we absolutely love the Gottmans mm-hmm. and their training. And um, one of the four horsemen um, in which are four ways that we can essentially be dysfunctional in our relationships and how we can be dysfunctional with one another. Um, and yeah, if we're focusing on the negative and we don't maybe have the communication skills of telling a partner. So if I said to you, oh, you never do the laundry, Laura, I'm just so upset about this and the dishes are piling up instead you know, eliminating that criticism and having an open conversation. Like, you know, I've noticed that, you know, we don't really equally do the laundry. And I'm wondering if maybe you could help me every now and again with that. You know, I'm going to wash the clothes and you put them away. Laura and I both hate putting laundry away. It's the worst state of my laundry room. I will do laundry all day (laughs) and then I just don't ever want to put it away. But anyway, (laughs) I live by myself, so that's okay. (laughs) I know. And I don't. Yeah. It becomes more problematic. But, um, you no, absolutely. The way that we communicate. And if I can and say like, hey, you know, what what is going on with in this situation instead of being accusatory? Uh-huh. I'm getting the same point across, but one way is effective and one way is ineffective. Yep. And that's one thing that I think is really important is that when we're learning these skills, it's not about judging our partners or, or feeling bad for how we've handled things in the past. We're just trying to learn what is effective in building a long-lasting relationship. And criticism is not effective. No. The research shows it. It's been proven. And, you know, looking internally, like, what might be going on? What, what, why maybe are they not putting away the laundry or um, something else like that? And that curiosity. Yeah, that curiosity, because we also have things that we don't do well. And do we want to be criticized? Right. So, you know, acknowledging, okay, there might be some sort of reason why my partner's not doing this. Let's have a conversation. Because, you know, if they hate that, I always leave my oatmeal dish in the, you know, in the sink, right? And if they came at me, I can't believe that you're doing that. We have to have that um, mutual lack of criticism and emphasis on that nurturing. And and again, feedback is good. You yes. want to communicate how you're yep. feeling, even if it's something that's a difficult thing to talk about. But criticism is not helpful. Nope. Okay. So let's go to one of the next principles, which we kind of already touched on, is turning toward each other. So this is more about those bids for connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Gottman training, again, they had this really interesting piece um, of the love lab where you were kind of talking before um, the the uh, wife in this situation. She goes to the window like, God, oh, the window is so, you know, the weather is so amazing and look at the birds. And her spouse was just sitting there eating his cereal and focusing on the TV, doesn't even say anything to acknowledge her. So that's like a small bit, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm just talking to you about the weather and then you're ignoring me, you're turning away mm-hmm. and not turning towards each other. And, you know, all you have to do is really acknowledge, like you were saying earlier, oh, yeah, the weather is nice or, you know, hmm, yeah, I've noticed that too. It doesn't have to be this elaborate conversation about the weather or the birds outside, but just acknowledging what your partner is talking about and what their experience is. And right now with so many distractions with cell phones, um, uh, it is yeah. easy to miss bids for connection. I even had an example the other day with my partner where he was telling me a story about, and it wasn't, it was something that was, you know, just a funny thing he saw on TV or something like that. And I was responding to text messages and not listening to him while he was talking to me. And then at, at one point he's like, I'll just tell you this later. And I realized, you know, yeah. oh, that's a missed opportunity. That is, that is a bid for connection, sharing something that you saw or something about your day. Mm-hmm. And 
it's very easy to just get lost. And I was probably responding to a work email or something uh-huh. that I, you know, was distracted. Yeah. So we want to be very mindful of that because those little things are actually a big thing. Yep. 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 Continuing to acknowledge acknowledge each other. And we want to respond favorably mm-hmm. when our partners try to connect with us. Another thing um, that's because the news is just, you know, everyone's talking about what's on the news and politics mm-hmm. and some difficult things right now um, is somebody will bring up something that they've read. And maybe in, if you don't agree with what your partner just said, you'll start arguing why their point is wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's actually not really about what they brought up. It's not about the content of what they're saying to you, right? So if I'm like, oh, I just saw on the news that, um, I don't know, the president did this today. Well, <clears throat> it's really not about what the president did. It's really about why was that interesting to you? Why mm-hmm. did you want to bring that up to me? So if I just fire back at you and I'm like, nope, that's not how that happened. I've missed the opportunity to connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. So even if I don't agree um, you know, something you can say there is like, well, tell me more about, you know, mm-hmm. why that you thought that was interesting. Yeah. And like basing a conversation off that instead of shutting it down, like, oh, God, I don't agree. Why are we talking about this? That's wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. Being again, that curiosity piece. Yeah. Or even sharing like stories about friends or work. You know, mm-hmm. if you just think, well, I don't care what's going on at work or, you know, you know, I don't like your best friend yeah. or whatever, <laughs> but, you know, it's important to your yeah. partner. So you investigate and you have that conversation. Curiosity. Uh-huh. Questions and curiosity are a big thing in, in having a positive mm-hmm. relationship. So what is so, Michelle, I think maybe we'll take this is a good spot for us to take a little break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the rest of the principles and how they can help you in your relationship. Great. I look forward to it. All right. You're listening to Holding Ground on KKNW. Five things you need to know about measles in 30 seconds. The vaccine was developed in 1963, and measles became rare in the U.S. But low vaccination rates are now causing outbreaks that may put you at risk. Measles is highly contagious and spreads easily when an infected person breathes or coughs. Measles can have serious complications and can be deadly. It's also easy to prevent with a vaccine that's safe and effective. Please make sure you and your loved ones are vaccinated. Learn more at nfid.org measles. Thanks for tuning in to our brand new show, Holding Ground. You can find us here every Monday morning at 9 a.m. I'm Laura Richer, founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. And I'm Michelle Mooney, the co-host of Holding Ground, a therapist at Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Our passion, our one big thing in life, above and beyond love, relationships, trauma, addiction, and healing, our specialty is helping others. Every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com. It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Talk radio for the heart and soul. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Holding Ground. I'm Laura Richer, therapist and founder of Anchor Light Therapy Collective. Therapist Michelle Mooney and I have been talking about love languages today and how the Gottman Method will help you speak fluent love. So we're not trying to pit the Gottmans against Gary Chapman and the love languages. We're talking about how we can combine them together to have effective communication and deepen our connections with our partners. Um, And in the last segment, we were just talking about bids 
for connection or bids for attention. And this idea is something that is really simple, but something that successful couples um, practice effectively. And this has been shown in the research. So for Gottman's, for the Gottman method, a bid uh, is just any sort of emotional communication, mm-hmm. which is really what the love languages are, too, yes. as well. It's how, yeah, how can we connect emotionally with our partners? Yes. So we are going to jump into the next principle of the Gottman method, and that is accepting influence. So essentially that means sharing power. So making one spouse uh, or partner and, you know, having them help collaborate and decision making and also taking their opinions and feelings into account. So if we're having some sort of big decision piece, Laura, do we want to have children, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe you don't and I do. But well, then we shouldn't. Probably. Yeah, and that's something you should discuss <laughs> we before call it yeah. you get married, and maybe before you really jump too far into a relationship, because you know, then if we don't agree, that could be kind of disastrous. Yes. But if we're trying to decide, let's say we're both kind of on the fence. So you have reasons why you don't want children. Mm-hmm. I have reasons why I do, and kind of discussing those and valuing one uh, and another's influence and what they have to say about it. Yeah, and I think you know, so there are the deal breaker things that we really don't want to influence another person on because it, it, they're just That's true. too yeah. big of deal breakers. Yeah. So, but using kids as an example, maybe I think our kids should go to public school and you think our kids should go to private school. And so instead of, you know, when you say, well, I think private school education might be a better option, if I'm like, nope, we're not doing that. It's too expensive and, and it's not happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not it's shutting it down. I'm just shutting it down. I'm not even willing to listen to what what you're – perspective is what you're and and ultimately I might disagree with you but I want I want to be curious I want to know why my partner has this perspective and Mm -hmm. be able to have that conversation so successful couples are couples who do accept each other's influence what Mm -hmm. would be some other examples that you see in couples therapy where couples have a hard time of accepting the other person's influence yeah so let's say moving for example Mm -hmm. right I want to move. I'm I'm from Michigan, and actually my partner is too. So mm-hmm. let's say we decide to move back there. Well, I never actually want to go back to Michigan. It's way <laughs> I'm too like, cold. Wait, you're not moving, are you? I know yeah. it's too flat, and you know, honestly, not as pro- progressive as here. But anyway, um, so if let's say he really wanted to move back, you know, being open to that conversation of okay, here's why you want to move back. Okay, I can see that. Like that is something that I can consider. Um, some other things are. Um, well, there's even really little things where it it seems insignificant, but like when we were talking about bids for uh, connection, these little things actually become big things. So um, maybe it's even just around a way of how you do something. Like maybe I'm in the kitchen cutting up an onion, and my and my partner comes in and says, "Oh, there's a better way for you to hold your knife for this to be more effective." <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, listen, I know what I'm doing. Get out of my space." Uh-huh. I could that I could accept his influence and say, oh, really? Tell me about that. Show mm-hmm. me that. Ultimately, I might say, well, my way of doing it is the way that I want to do it. So it's not that you have to to do everything that your partner suggests. But at the same time, you're open to accepting mm-hmm. what they are what they are sharing with you, what they have to offer. Um, so Let's talk about like painting the house. Yeah. Well, Susie wants to paint it purple. I want to keep it white. Um, what kind of car we're going to buy, where we're going to go on vacation, all those kinds of things can be um, 
you know, kind of debates or conversations that we need to have and just being open to, oh, you want to go to Hawaii? That makes sense because I wanted to go to, you know, Antarctica and, you know, it's a little bit colder there <laughs> yeah. than Hawaii. And ha- but having those conversations again and being open and to each other's interests. curious why you'd want to go to a place like Antarctica. What yeah. is it about that that interests Penguins. you? Penguins. Yeah. <laughs> so not just cutting, again, a lot of times we get into arguments and we get caught up in like the content of our conversations and it's not even necessarily about what we're talking about or what the what the issue is on the table as much as it is what the meaning what the meaning is that we're making out of it and what yep. does it mean to our partners why would they I, I want to be curious why would my partner want to go to Antarctica I'm definitely going to Hawaii but yeah yeah <laughs> I mean and sometimes you can take supper vacations yeah. that can be you know helpful yeah yeah so accepting influence and historically like just talking about historically uh, with gender roles um the male did not, it wasn't expected, you know, if we go back to like my mm-hmm. grandparents' generation yep. before, it wasn't expected that the male needed to accept the influence of the female partner. And of course, dynamics and gender roles are different today than they were then. But that is something that still comes up quite a bit in couples therapy is that um, because of the way that we're socialized, sometimes some male partners have different difficulty Mm -hmm. accepting the influence of their female partner and the research shows that the most of the the most successful longest lasting relationships are relationships where the male is willing to accept the influence of his Mm -hmm. female partner so jumping outside of those gender roles and Mm -hmm. you know oh you know my wife wants to let's say i don't know move the furniture in this sort of way mm-hmm. and I, I'm I'm the man of the house mm-hmm. and no, I want it a certain way and then it just shuts down that conversation again. Right. So thankfully gender roles have changed and, um, you know, things are a little bit more open for accepting each other's influence and um, compromising. Yes, but some of the things are still the same too. Mm-hmm. So we have to continue to, to work on that. And yeah. so no matter whether you're what whether you're in a heterosexual relationship or a homosexual relationship, sometimes one partner will take on that role of being, uh, the, being one the more dominant. More powerful yeah. Yep. Yeah. Influence. Yep. And even if you're more of a take charge kind of person and your partner is more passive, you you don't you want to be able to allow them to have some sort of influence mm-hmm. and say in what is happening mm-hmm. because we all know that if you don't yeah resentment is what follows next exactly yeah exactly yeah. that's a great point so the next one and kind of um integrates with what we just said is solving solvable problems so yeah so Go this ahead. is important because some problems aren't solvable i just want to point that out that the research shows that there's about about 70% of the things that we disagree about with our partners, we will always disagree mm-hmm. about. But there are some issues that we can work through. So mm-hmm. that's what we're looking at here. Yep. Um, so I think that's really great insight about that um, percentage of folks that – or percentage of problems that we always are going to have, right? We might not agree on, you know, what <laughs> – you know, you really like Chinese and I like pizza and all that. You know, right. very little things like that. But, um, you know. So the Gottmans have a really great – model for resolving conflict because for the things that we are going to be able to resolve and like I said 70% of those things might just be issues that we work around I might never like um, you know your best friend and so instead of 
changing that. We just decided to work yeah, around it. That can it. be something that just, you know, is stat- it just stays that way. Right. And, yeah. Finding some way to, yeah, but get around this, that and accept that and just, you know, say, okay, that, that's our best that, friend. Okay. Then mm-hmm. that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. But so one of the things that the Gottmans talk about in resolving co- conflict is a conflict is going to end in the same way that it starts. So Mm -hmm. if you start with what they call a harsh startup, a critical startup, where you say, I can't stand your friend, and whenever you're around him, you're a jerk too. Well, now that's- That can inspire (laughs) the partner to respond in the same way, and then we're going in those circles. We're going to get defensive. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if I have a softer way of starting the conversation, if I say, you know, honey, it's- stressful for me to be around your friend but I you know appreciate that this is a long-term friendship that you've had what do you think the best way is to handle us all going camping together maybe yeah. you know maybe I don't separate go. times yeah <laughs> yeah I'll stay home you have a great time we stay at the opposite end of the campground uh-huh. um but the the it's going to start the way it ends so so how you start the conflict is important also when it does go off track which is going to happen because none of us are perfect we want to learn how to make and receive what what is called um, in the Gottman method repair attempts. Yes, those are very important. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so there's sometimes where a conflict is just going to look ugly because, like you said, we're not perfect. But how do we heal that in the end? How do we come back to one another? How do we maybe apologize or say, you know, what? I really didn't think about it that way, but now now that I've had time to think about it, like I understand what you're saying. So those repair attempts, instead of just never going back to it, not healing that, main, you know, remaining in contempt. Um, so yeah, that's. So sometimes we have hurt feelings and we don't want to accept our partner's attempt at repairing the situation. So if I come back to you and I say, hey, you know, I got really upset or I, you know, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have attacked you in that moment. Mm -hmm. I might want to be like, no, you shouldn't have Mm -hmm. and be upset, you know, but we want to do both. We want to be able to make the attempt to bring the to deescalate the conflict by Mm -hmm by apologizing or acknowledging our behavior or whatever that looks like. And then we also want to be able to accept that when our partner makes that attempt. So yeah. when they when appreciating they, that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or just even allowing it. Sometimes mm-hmm. we want to shut mm-hmm. it down because we we feel hurt. Or we feel very stuck in what our side of the, you know, mm-hmm. conversation was. So the goal is always to you're always going to have conflict, but the goal is that you don't want it to ever escalate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you want to resolve it. You don't want to just package it away right and then because that will come back and that can be a continual you know yeah bad conversation (laughs) yes and escalating conflict is a problem because it takes whenever something negative happens it takes a lot of positive to override that Mm -hmm. so if we're constantly insulting each other we need to have a lot of positive words of affirmation to be able to get to undo what that negativity felt like. Mm-hmm. And eventually over time, if the negativity accumulates at really high levels, we go into what's called negative sentiment override, mm-hmm. where we are just always expecting the worst thing to happen. And it's really hard to have connection in that way because we're always defending ourselves or preparing ourselves for some sort of hurtful or negative interaction with our partner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to note, too, those conflicts, we might not ever agree on it. But again, it's how we come back and, you know, show insight or curiosity and healing that, you know, oh, I, you know, maybe we don't see eye to eye on this, but I appreciate what you're saying. And, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you seen any couples that get into that negative sentiment override where it's 
it, it, t- it does take a lot of work to mm-hmm. untangle that and kind of go backwards. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep that, keep from getting to that place in the first, getting there in the first place. Yeah. 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 So now we're going to talk about these issues that we mentioned before, these, these gridlock issues, these mm-hmm. things where we just get stuck, where we're not able to get past them, mm-hmm. that they're just part of that 70% of things that we're just not going to agree about. Yeah. And this can be rooted again in one person's position and being polarized in that and more extreme. And, you know, maybe you have a more extreme of view and all the lenses, you know, we're willing or the less we're willing to compromise. And eventually, you know, they can disengage from each other emotionally. And what Gottman argues is that no matter how entrenched in gridlock a couple is, all they need to do in order to get out of that is motivation and a willingness to explore the hidden issues underneath that that are really causing the gridlock. So, you know, Laura, again, you can be really upset that I left the lawnmower in the middle of the yard and only the half, you know, yard is mowed. But is that really what I'm upset about? Or am I upset about, you know, you know, what's underneath that, right? I might feel disrespected. I might feel, you know, like I'm not being heard. Um, so what are those things underneath what the argument is really about? What what are the emotions? What are the needs that we have that were not met in that in yeah. exchange? That is such a good point. I think in gridlock, we are uh, there's going to be unmet needs. So the mm-hmm. the argument is rarely about what the argument seems it's, to be yeah, about. It's, yeah, it's it's not about the dirty dishes. No, no, it's no, it's about like you said. Maybe I feel like I'm shouldering more of the burden of the household chores, mm-hmm. and I feel resentful about that. Maybe I feel, um, you know, that that disrespected or mm-hmm. that you're not acknowledging the difficult time I'm having because I'm super busy at work. I mean, there's going to be, it's not really ever about the dishes. No. Yeah. Exactly. So being able to overcome gridlock, and I can't remember the exact quote, but another thing John Gottman talks about is how couples get engaged in these same arguments over the years, talking about the same thing over and over. And all that does is create more tension and create Mm -hmm. more problems. And in fact, it is really beneficial to just be able to agree to disagree and yes. even find mm-hmm. some humor in it. Like we said yeah. <laughs> in our last episode about depression, like sometimes even when there is nothing to laugh about, if we can find yeah. even a, some sort of dark humor, it's funny because it's true kind of humor mm-hmm. that can help us get through some of these these difficult times. Yeah, exactly. So, Laura, the last one we have is creating shared meaning. So I love this one. Um, so, you know, it's it's what we do together, what, you know, your goals are and my goals are and creating that meaning around that and um, just really coming together and understanding what it means to be a part of the family that you've created. And according to Gottman, again, when a marriage has a shared sense of meaning, conflict is much less intense and perpetual problems are less likely to lead to great luck. So can you tell us a little bit more about that, Laura? Yeah, so shared meaning and rituals mm-hmm. of connection yeah. are so important. And rituals, you know, rituals can be a big thing like a wedding ceremony, but they can be little things like, you know, maybe every we, Saturday night we have date night, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Or we go on vacation at the same place every year. Or we celebrate, you know, the first date we met or our mm. first kiss or all these little things that remind us why we are connected mm-hmm. to one one another. Yeah. And then also, you know, this goes back to the love maps, too, and really knowing your partner is what is focusing on what your life together means to you. Yeah. Why are you, what are you, what are your goals and your dreams together as a couple? 
Um, you why know, did we get together and why did we stay together and, you know, just maintaining that meaning that, you know, of why we're in that relationship right. together. And couples who don't have shared meaning, who live really separate lives, will typically not stay together mm-hmm. long term. Mm-hmm. Because, again, once that initial year to a year and a half of chemistry wears off, mm-hmm. you need to have something that is connecting the two of you. For, so for a lot of couples, that will be their their children or it could be your pets that you have mm-hmm. together or yeah. it could be the goals that you that you have the things that you aspire to experience or mm-hmm. accomplish together. Yeah. Um, but there does need to have, you need to have something that really reminds you of, of why you're together. Yeah. Yeah. And trying to find that no matter how busy we are, I can, uh, a past relationship I had like a million years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked during the day. He went to his graduate school program at night. We never saw each other mm-hmm. during the day and we didn't even have a ritual of like, maybe let's just have coffee together in the morning. I mean, there's a reason why that broke down yeah. and uh, you know, differing schedules is a big thing in partnerships. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of relationships I've seen over the years end with different schedules because also that different schedule sometimes can be symbolic of something different. Like we just have really different lifestyles Mm -hmm. or we've gotten to a place in our relationship where we're now trying to avoid each other. Yeah, Yeah. that's important too. Am I trying to avoid you? Am I just trying to do my own thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And am I creating meaning? It's my purpose and meaning outside of my relationship? Do mm-hmm. I look for that with my friends and in my work, which is all is all valid as well. But if it if some of it isn't grounded in your home life mm-hmm. and your life with your partner, yeah. eventually that is going to be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to probably separate. I mean, you're already separating yourselves at that point. Right. But it might be an ultimate separation or. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these are all things, the seven principles are things that we teach to couples and couples therapy. And every couple is different and has different things that they're working on. But this is a good foundation as well as the Gary Chapman's work in the love languages that can help you learn how to speak fluent love and connect with your partner on a deeper level. Yeah. So if we look at it again real quick, love language is wanting to spend quality time together, offering physical touch, offering an act of service, giving a gift, or giving words of affirmation. And those can all be reframed as requests of connection, Mm -hmm. right? At the end of it, this is how I want to connect with you, and this is how I hope that you'll connect with me. Yeah. So even more than understanding your partner's love language, it's just understanding your partner in general and Mm -hmm. what they need. And how to connect with one another successfully, not over conflict. Yes. (laughs) We don't want to do that. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And if you think this after this time, you and your partner want to start working on speaking fluent love and improving your relationship, head over to anchorlighttherapy.com. Go under the starting or how to start tab and where you can connect with us and sign up with you for your complimentary consultation. And that's 20 minutes and we'll really get to connect and develop maybe some goals together. Mm-hmm. Um, so and just a reminder, you can find us all over social media. We're on Instagram. So the show is holding ground talk radio and you can also find more fun mental health posts on anchor light therapy on instagram and you can also find us on facebook um the show is holding ground and our practice is anchor light therapy collective thanks for tuning in to holding ground you can find us here every monday morning at 9 a.m i'm laura richer owner of anchor light therapy collective and i'm michelle mooney a therapist at anchor light therapy collective find us online at anchorlighttherapy.com we'll see you next week